and he was able to slide around and kind of just get in front of him and the buck fed out underneath him oh nice like at less than 50 yards i think it was a 40 something yard shot right up underneath him made a perfect shot he actually has a gopro video of it and the buck didn't i bet he didn't go 100 150 yards across the base and then just tumbled head head first down the hill i don't know if people realize that as bucks get up and feed and move and flip beds or flip sides or you know just kind of jostle around multiple times during the day it's rare occasions that i've seen one of those bigger bucks that'll just lay in his bed all day long and never get up at all deer or deer elk or elk no matter what state you go to yeah. but the areas they live are slightly different you got to find ways to use that to your advantage or how to use you know what's your tactic in each one of those areas the deer and elk and all the animals you shoot with a bow die from hemorrhaging so the more blood it's the same analogy that we say you cut your finger with a razor blade and how much do you bleed cut it with a butter knife and then see how do you bleed the razor blade it just it'll bleed profusely it's the same thing with deer or elk or any other animal i think there's a lot to be said about shooting competition mm -hmm. whether you're shooting paper competition or 3t competition mm -hmm. but you've got to put pressure on the line and so i think when we shoot competitions like that and you actually put the pressure and it elevates the adrenaline and it elevates the moment of truth that you've got to make the shot mm -hmm. that's what a hunting situation that's the closest oh, yeah. thing to replicating the hunting Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Just before we roll into this episode, I want to talk to you about a couple things. As always, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags, main sponsor of the show. Use promo code John Stallone, save 20% on your whole order. They got some awesome stuff. So get yourself some shooting bags, a glassing pad, check out some of the stuff that they're working on. Also, I want you to check out Lacusa. Lacusa makes wild hunted American whitetail leather goods like wallets, card holders, stuff like that. It's a really neat deal. I got mine about a month ago and I really love it. It's nice to know that your whitetail hide's not just going in the garbage or being left out in the field and uh, it's being turned into something useful and it will last you a very, very long time. If you use promo code John Stallone on your purchase, you will receive a discount and uh, couple other things. One, you know, I know you guys heard me say a million times, please go on iTunes, give us a review, helps me keep this free. And uh, lastly, I just want to touch on all the craziness that's going on in the world. It's really important for us hunters to stick together. They are really heavily coming for hunting. We're seeing it all over the place. It's popping up in every state where they're trying to chip away at hunting rights and change things up so if you want to keep hunting as special as it is to us now and have it be in our heritage and for the generations to come then learn to be better with your fellow hunter and learn to stick up and fight for what's right thank you let's jump into this next episode Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today I have uh, Omni Warner with us and uh, we're going to talk a little hunting. I mean, he's he's killed a couple of good ones in the last, uh, since the last time I talked to him, so maybe we'll we'll hear some stories from him and uh, go from there. What's going on, man? <laughs> Just trying to sit down for a little bit and take a little bit of break from work, so 
Yeah, I hear you, man. It's been a <laughs> wacky day for me. Yeah, for sure. I, I literally spent my whole day, wasted my whole day, I should say, trying to get a tag, an elk tag in uh, Idaho. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my partner Charles and I were freaking on, literally since 6 a.m. this morning, I finally, I purchased a tag. I don't even know if I'm going to go because it's a unit that I don't know at like 4 p.m. The whole freaking day staring at the damn computer screen, just waiting. <laughs> Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, just for opportunity, right? <laughs> that's yeah, cool. ridiculous. Their, their system is so like in some hand, like some instances I get it, but the whole randomized waiting room thing, like mm-hmm. so you don't get rewarded at all for, you know, being first in line. Like if, if I was the first person to click in, I'm not rewarded for it. Yeah. So they told people that you weren't allowed to, that you weren't going to get on till nine thirty this morning, and for some reason it started at nine a.m. Oh, and I no. just happened to be on it. I happened to log in at nine a.m. You know, prior to it. So I was like, "Oh, cool! You know, I should get a decent number, or whatever." <laughs> yeah. Right. At four o'clock. Yeah. I was number 15,982. <laughs> hey, but you got a tag, so. Yeah, I did. I, I ended up getting a tag, but it's a tag that, you know, it's, nobody wants. Type tag. Okay. But, you know, like I said, I'll, if I if I go, I mean, it's not for me, it's, now it's like a backup. If I, can't, yeah. if I can't get a tag in Colorado or if, I'm not, if I don't draw a tag here in Arizona or Wyoming, that's going to be my backup, you know, just to go elk hunting. There but, you go. Yep. Definitely not. A, otherwise, if I would have got the tag that I wanted to go, then that would have been the trip that I planned for, and I just would have put in for bonus points in the other places. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's one of those situations. Yep. But yep. whatever. It is what it is. I'm done bitching uh, you, about it. <laughs> you never know. Sometimes those turn out to be the best. So. True. Yeah, and it might be a new spot that I learn, you know, that's going to be, you know, good for years to come. You know, hell, nobody yep. wants that tag. I could pull it every year. <laughs> You know, exactly. if I was exactly. number 15,000, whatever, almost 16,000. Yeah. But the shitty thing was the most annoying part of the whole situation is, so Charles was number 7,000 something. So he was half the distance ahead of me. Yep. Got in, put the tag that we were both going for in his shopping cart, went to checkout, and the system logged him off. And then he tried to get back oh, on, no. and it made, and it put him at number, <clears throat> I don't know, 20-something thousand. Oh, no. Waited again, uh-huh. waited again, got put in there, got kicked off again, and let him back on the la- like this last hour or whatever. He mm-hmm. ended up purchasing a tag just that's, you know, nobody, absolutely nobody wants. And I don't know why he did it because now he's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just spent 700 bucks for no fucking reason. Excuse me, French. <laughs> and that was Donation. the other thing that pissed Donation. me off. This was the first year that I purchased my license and my stamps and all that stuff in advance. Mm-hmm. So I was already in it for 400 bucks. Yeah. So like once yeah. I got there and I saw that there was no tags that I really, that I knew. I'm like, uh, well, shit, I'm already in it for 400 bucks. I might as well just pick one. You know, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, you're, like, you're, My brain was committed. Yeah. I don't know. It was very upsetting, very aggravating. Mm-hmm. 
they gotta <laughs> they gotta they gotta do something better with that system. It's kind of a I mean the, yeah. the concept of it all is kind of cool, but it's still it's got a lot of bugs and um you know it could be very frustrating. Mm-hmm. So anyway, how you been, man? Uh it's been a good fall. So yeah, it's been, I saw been that. busy but been good. Nice. So, we've kind of been all over the place. Um a lot of my, well, our fall started with antelope hunts with nephew doing stuff. And then I actually had got the chance to go on a sheep hunt this year too, with a good friend, his son drew a sheep tag. So in Nevada, no, it was actually in um, New Mexico. Oh, New Rocky. Mexico. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Oh yeah. So their family, they did really well. They, they pulled two once in a lifetime tags in New Mexico. He pulled, his boy drew a bighorn sheet, which he shot a really good ram. Mm-hmm. And then he drew an Ibex tag, a rifle Ibex oh, tag. Oh, nice. <clears throat> and we just did that a few weeks ago. Um, and he shot a really good billy off the Floridas. I love that so, place. I love it. Yeah. I love and hate it. <laughs> yeah. It's like a punishment mountain, isn't it? Yeah. It's a, that's a mother for, for yeah. sure. <laughs> I got a January tag archery on there. We'll see how that goes. Oh, so, did you? Just, yeah, Sweet. it's just sad. It's almost, I mean, if you saw what it was, and maybe you did yeah. back 10 years ago, it was incredible how many animals were on that mountain. Even my last tag, there was so many more than there are recently. Yeah. Because I went and helped a guy sad. out, what was it, last year or the year before? Two years ago. Yeah, two seasons ago, I went and helped a guy out on his January hunt. And I was like, wow, this is really mm-hmm. gone really gone downhill they screwed it up with that nanny um yeah they're trying to kill them off yeah yeah but i I mean i don't get it it's such a you know big draw for them how many people put in for that tag well they'll get to the point they don't have a population to hunt if they're not careful yeah so then there won't be any revenue (laughs) right right yeah yeah. Uh, i don't know if they just need to cut back because I think, I think they're pretty prolific in the, uh, mm-hmm. basically uh, having children and stuff. So yep, I think, yep. I think if they just backed off a little bit and stopped doing some of these stupid hunts, deprivation hunts, and whatever that they got going on there, I actually got called for that because I put my name in the hat for that because I, oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I I got called for it and I was like, eh, you know what, mm-hmm. I'll wait. Yeah, I draw it again, and I didn't because I was like, I don't know if I want to go because I know I could go find a broken horn one, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing: people finding all these mature billies with just a little snapped off end or something, and mm-hmm. it was legal to shoot. Yep. So, but <clears throat> anywho, so uh, if you can uh, share a couple stories with us, that'd be awesome. Yeah, you bet. So we got to, um, I guess one of the exciting ones that I like to kind of tell is we got to hunt in Colorado and we had a full, a brand new experience. We actually rented llamas this year. Oh, nice. There was an area we wanted to try to get into and we finally kind of put the resources and the research together and were able to get in there. <clears throat> there were four of us that went in. So two of my brothers went with me and then good friend, Steve, we were about 12 miles deep with llamas. Ooh. So if, you know, anybody that tracked the Colorado season the day before the hunt, it rained like crazy. And so we spent, we had a 12 mile hike, um, in the pouring rain. It was, 
so we, we left camp early or we left the trailhead early in the morning and then didn't even set up camp till after dark. Well, it took us a while to get in there just because the weather was so bad. And then the first day of the season was really it cloudy when you're in the clouds anyways. And then you got all that moisture, you end up, it takes a while for it to kind of clear out. So the first day was kind of a bust. We didn't see hardly any deer. You couldn't glass, couldn't really move around. So the first day we actually got to hunt, which would have been the second day of the hunt, I hunted with my brother that's from Oregon. He came down and he ended up killing a pretty good buck. It's, it's probably his best buck. And he reminded me, like, that's two years in a row he shot bucks the first day him and I have hunted together. <laughs> but it was a cool stock. It's one of those where we hunted out a long ridge line, ends up being almost just short of, well, it's about three miles long, that ridge line is. Okay. And then he ended up making about a mile and a half stock around to get on buck and came right down on top of it. Everything just worked textbook. Made a really good shot on the buck, went down in the bottom of the basin and, you know, top, top, tipped over right in the bottom of the basin. Oh, yeah. So because we had llamas, we didn't have to pack him back out that night. We just quartered him out and hung him up, hmm. hung him in a tree so he'd cool off and then thought, well, we'll just come back tomorrow with the llamas and pick him up and haul him out. So we're headed in there the next day to pick him up. And we found even a bigger buck and my brother, other brother, I was actually able to harvest that buck. So we killed two bucks, ended up being within a mile of each other. They were the best two bucks that we had found in that area anyways. And we were able to harvest both those bucks, uh, within two days of each other. That's nice. I, so, I, I, you know, I, I saw both of those bucks, I believe on, mm-hmm. on Instagram. Yep. Your brother Wesley's got the one that got the, the crazy looking one. The right? bigger buck. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. He's got like a bunch of cheaters and stuff, right? He, he does. Yep. It's yeah. kind of almost like a big mainframe whitetail buck. Yeah. Everything was... comes off the mainframe, but it's got some extras. Which is funny. He's killed two bucks now that kind of have a similar horn configuration. And then Wesley's buck and Sabin's, both their bucks almost look like the same genetics. And they very well oh, yeah, could the, be the same genetics. I'm looking on Instagram right now. I just pulled it up. Yeah, yeah okay. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know Saban, but I and now I know. Yeah, it's a three point, right? It says. Yeah. He's got. Oh, I'm sorry. He's got like crowned on one side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a three by five. The Saban's buck is. Yeah, yeah. Wesley's buck. I don't know how many points his buck has on it. Um, I'd have to count them all up, but one, two, kind of just three, an four, abnormal five, frame. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 13 points total, including the eye guards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his buck's just really wide and heavy. Wesley's buck is. Mm. But his was like textbook. It was one of those things that couldn't have worked out any better on say, on Wesley's buck. We glassed that buck when we were headed in there with the llamas to pick Sabins. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was early, early morning, right before the sunlight even hit the ridge lines. So, you know, if you've hunted that type of stuff, those bucks are still they're exposed um, and they don't really head for, sh- for the cover until the sunlight starts hitting. Mm-hmm. And he was able to slide around and kind of just get in front of him. And the buck fed out underneath him. Oh, nice. Like, like at less than 50 yards. I think it was a 40 something yard shot right up underneath him. Made a perfect shot. He actually has a GoPro video of it. And the buck didn't, I bet he didn't go 100, 150 yards across the base and then just tumbled head, head first down the hill. So it was, it worked out well because we took enough llamas in there that 
Saban actually went to go pick up his deer and Wesley and I were able to finish quartering and prepping his buck and then haul it back up to the trail. And we hauled them all right back to camp all in one shot. So oh, yeah. I mean, it, it worked so perfect for all that. And then you guys but just kept the meat there in camp with you? We did. So we hunted in there another day and we couldn't, you know, that those were the best bucks we'd found scouting. And mm-hmm. we just really couldn't turn any more bucks up that were worth hunting in there. So we decided to go ahead and flip trailheads. And that's kind of when the whole fiasco started. So we hike all the way out, got in the trailer, st- headed for another trailhead. And, you know, this is the bad thing about having llamas and horse trailers and everything. We blew a, um, a wheel bearing out mm. on a trailer that we had borrowed. And so now we're stuck halfway on the mountain, can't get all the way up to the trailhead, trying to repair a trailer. And it just kind of turned into just a circus trying to figure out what to do and how to get it repaired. We couldn't get any parts locally, so we had to swap the trailer out. We actually tied the axle up, spent the rest of the day driving it down, trying to find another trailer. And it wasn't until the following day that I was able to round up another trailer and head back up the mountain. All while one of my brothers, Wesley, sitting up on the mountain with the llamas just sitting there waiting for me to join him back, back up. Um, so we were able to get another trailer though, get to the trailhead and then get on in, um, and then start, you know, hunting so I could actually hunt. Steve ended up hurt after that. I mean, just kind of like tendonitis. So he wasn't able to hunt with us anymore. So it was just my tag left at that point. We went in on a totally different trailhead. So we, I, I don't remember, I'd have to look at a calendar to say how many days, but we hunted in there all the way until our plan was to be able to hunt all the way till Saturday or Sunday of that next week. And I glassed a buck that I killed. We glassed him up a couple times, but there were some bigger bucks in there that we kept looking for. Really? Bigger than we, when you we got That we couldn't this. find. Yeah. They were there in the summer when we'd scouted it, but we weren't able to turn them up during the hunt. Mm. And I don't know, just hunting pressure or feed or something changed. Um, and we, we just could not find any of the other bucks. So, it was the last full day that we were going to hunt. I actually glassed the buck up that I ended up killing and he went into a spot where he bedded down and we could still see him. Mm. So Wesley set back and he glassed from where he was at and kind of the same thing like Saban's stock. I ended up having to make probably a mile, mile and a half stock around to get on top of the buck waited there for, was probably on top of him for an hour and a half before he stood up and then when he stood up i was able to make a pretty good shot and the buck went down into the timber wesley could see the buck moving around in the timber so we weren't totally sure if he kind of expired right away or what was going on because there was three bucks with him Mm -hmm. and then finally the other two bucks busted down out of the timber when they did then i just you know snuck in there kind of not knowing if he was still alive or if he died or what was going on I ended up having to put one more arrow in him, but he was pretty much gone at that point anyway. So, Gotcha. So I want to ask you this. So the, the details that are left out of the story, you glassed, you said you glassed them up first light, right? It was, mm-hmm. so this was, <laughs> it was this morning bed. You're like, I got X amount of time to get over there and I'm going to make a stalk and he's going to get up and go move from his morning mm-hmm. bed to his mm-hmm. whole, whole day bed. That was, that was the plan. 
Yeah, and they where they're betting, that's that's pretty close. And so where these bucks are betting, they're right on the edge of timber. Mm-hmm. And what we'll typically see, the buck that I end up killing, is in that spot, they're not open and exposed to where like the sun hits them at nine and they get up and they move mm-hmm. to a completely different shaded area. Like there's enough, it's sparse timber right there. So the bucks will bed and then they'll get up and move and stretch or they'll feed a little bit. But it's not like they make a, a big move between their early morning bed and an all-day bed. Um, right. They'll, they're literally bed in that same little bench mm-hmm. um, all day long, but they do get up. I mean, that's, I don't know if people realize that as bucks get up and feed and move and flip beds or flip sides or, you know, just kind of jostle around multiple times during the day. It's rare occasions that I've seen one of those bigger bucks that'll just lay in his bed all day long and never get up at all. Yeah. Um, I, what, what I see here in Arizona a lot Mm -hmm. in the early season is they just get up and they just move on the other side of the tree. Yeah. Yep. They flip the side for shade. Yeah. And they just keep kind of like following the shade around. And Mm -hmm. a lot of my, early season hunting I do in California and for blacktail, which for all practical purposes, very much like a mule deer for some reason over there, it's different. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll have this morning bed and literally will sit there. And I think it, I used to think it was the sun, but I think it's wind change. Wind, yeah. thermals. Yeah, mm-hmm. I believe I, I believe <clears throat> it's this now more than anything. That they wait, and as soon as the wind changes, they mm-hmm. get up, and then they go into this thick, terrible shit that you can't freaking stalk them in. Yep. And that's what makes hunting in California hard for me, mm-hmm. is that the wind of opportunity is really small. Yeah. Oh, yeah. everything's trying to kill those deer, so right. they're trying to find a way to survive, right? Yep. And so you're right. I think they play the wind. They ice. I don't know if they worry about their eyesight as much as their play the wind. Yeah. Um, and then they want some vantage point where they feel like they can't be approached and pounced on, whether it's by lion or coyotes or hunters, whatever it might be. But For sure. That's interesting that you've kind of observed that in, Cal- in California. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like, I know I've done plenty of most of my early season when I hunt velvet bucks. I mean, I've hunted a lot of places. I shouldn't say this, but I've hunted Utah quite a bit for velvet deer, and I've I've killed my fair share. I killed three over there, mm-hmm. uh, three out of the four times that I've been. And from and I want to say it's e- it's not easy, but for some reason those higher mountain bucks tend to be easier to me. It's definitely yeah. more physical of a hunt by all means, but I think they're, I don't know where they bed and where, you know, how they use the terrain or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They just seem to be, they seem to put themselves in places that, yeah, you got an opportunity to approach them somehow or another, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? More approachable. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then yep. like here in Arizona, it depends on where I'm hunting. If I'm hunting in the desert, I honestly don't know why I even hunt the desert anymore. Um <laughs> In, in the early season, just because it's so dry and freaking loud and like, mm. it's it just the conditions don't lend themselves to be, you know, th- for you to have success. 
where mm-hmm. I found I had the most success is that like transition from the desert to the pinions and juniper. Mm-hmm. Like that's where I feel like I've had the most shot opportunities and have the most success. Mm-hmm. And that's and that kind of area is where I, well, even in the desert too, I, I witnessed them, you know, moving around trees because shade over here is a, you know, a commodity that's yeah. necessary. It's a hundred and something degrees out, you know, yep. and then like <clears throat> hunting in Wyoming. Yeah. And maybe again, go, it, it just kind of goes back to the terrain. That's where I've hunted most of my deer hunting there was in the, I don't even want to say prairie, but where you would, you know, you see antelope type. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they bed up on their cliff edges. And yep. the, to me, that's like, pff, those are slam dunk ones because you can, <laughs> yeah. you can get above them really easy. Yeah. They feel yeah. safe from a lion because a lion's not going to jump down 30. Well, they might, you know, I've seen it happen, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I've seen them jump away from dogs from 50 feet up or whatever, but you know, yeah. they feel more comfortable. Like, and you can come above them as long as you're not, you know, casting a shadow or the wind's not, you know, well, usually the wind's great at that point because it's hot and, you know, thermals are going up. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it's a, as long as you can shoot, it's a, kind of like a slam dunk, you know, in, in a sense, in, in comparison. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you got these, you know, like, like California was saying, and that, that just, it just boggles my mind because I've, I've been on excellent deer and maybe just, just where I'm hunting. And it, I always feel like I'm a dollar short and five minutes late, you know, whatever the case <laughs> may be. It's like I'm right yeah. there. And then all of a sudden the deer just decide to get up and move to the spot that I can't get to. Somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't even move that far. You know, it's probably uh, 200 yards or 100 yards or whatever it is. But it's, and they go into like madrone groves or whatever. And they're absolutely, you know, it's a, it's a, you can't get in there. You're going to get detected. Yeah. Well, even if you could see them, it's so loud. It's a walking on potato chips mm. and Rice Krispies. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting. You know, you have to, yeah, yeah. It's kind of cool because every, I love hunting diversity, like different landscapes and different styles because you learn. Mm-hmm. There's things you can take and apply from one to the next, but you have to learn, you have to apply, you have to apply them slightly different and then maybe learn different, slightly different tactics. Right. That, that's what's kind of cool about hunting different states and different elevation and vegetation and terrain. Yeah. Yeah. So then you start putting that all together. I think it just makes you a better overall hunter. Oh yeah. Because you've, so, you know, you've seen it all. So, you know, you could get thrown pretty much anything when, when it comes to like weather and whatever. And that mm-hmm. would, you know, anywhere you go, it could be different. You can hell, you could be hunting and, August yeah. and get snow, you know, like just stuff like that. Just kind of, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's all about recognizing that and recalling what happened last time. Exactly. A deer or deer, elk or elk, no matter what state you go to, yeah. but the areas they live are slightly different. You got to find ways to use that to your advantage or how to use, you know, what's your tactic in each one of those areas. So yeah, that's cool. I, that's, I love hunting all the different states and the diversity. For that reason yeah me too and I, that's why i like hunting with so many different <clears throat> animals too i've always been a mm-hmm. variety I, yeah well you know what it is i like the adventure of the of the chase you know of the whole mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. you know i got my go-to places that i love going to don't get me wrong mm-hmm. but i love going to new places mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's kind of like your Idaho tag. You never know what you're yeah. going to turn up. So. Yeah. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. you can be very excited about it. Only thing is about that, you know, I wasn't excited about is that, you know, you know, you're not going to a great unit. It's like, you, you always, it's almost kind of like self defeating because you, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you're going with this, I don't know, <clears throat> expectation, I guess, or, or lack of expectation. Mm-hmm. I guess it could be a good thing too. Yeah. Well, that's our, our elk hunts that we had this year were not in a prime unit. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of went it. we actually had four of us, two of my boys and my brother mm-hmm. all had elk tags together. And so like I had completely different expectations into it. I went into the elk hunt with the expectation that I wanted to see both of my boys harvest elk with a bow. Mm, that's awesome. So for Colton, my, he's my middle, middle child, the youngest boy that was his first archery elk hunt. So that was like goal number one is being able to see him shoot an elk with a bow experience bugling or rutting activity, mm-hmm. you know, and have that kind of a hunt. And then Talon's killed elk with bow, but it was like, it was more about them harvesting elk than me or Wes. And we were able to check that off of our list. The first day of the hunt, you know, that's Colton. The first day of the hunt, first morning out, him and I went together and we got two bulls bugling. And we were able, and again, this was one of those, it's not a great unit. It's not about killing a big bull. Mm-hmm. It's about having the right experience. Right. And Col- Colton had a, a good five by five scream in his face and he did everything textbook perfect. Like I videoed part of it with my phone and, and I didn't realize it until I went back and watched the video. But I said, you know, kind of under my breath, draw your bow. And he could not hear me. But he literally drew his bow right at that moment as the bull was coming up. And it was perfect. The bull stands there and freezes, you know, and he didn't let down. He didn't mess it up. The bull walks right up to him. I think it was was six or eight yards away. Oh, wow. And it turned broadside and he pounded the bull perfect. And, you know, the bull turns, runs down the hill about 50 yards and piles up. And so, like, everything about that was just awesome and it was perfect. That, that's what an elk hunt is all about, you know, mm-hmm. especially as a beginner. And so now I'm, I'm probably screwed in the aspect that he won't hunt muzzle or rifle or anything else. He's only <laughs> going to want to bow hunt now. Right. Nice. Um, and when I, when I say that, that's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that, you know, it's one more hunt that we all get to go feel together now. Yeah. No, that's so, awesome. So I'm curious, what uh, what poundage is he drawing back? How, what do you have on it for a setup for him? Just <laughs> yeah, I'm always curious cause no, I, because because my my oldest daughter, she's kind of getting to the point right now that she might go on an elk hunt too. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, so with Colton's archer equipment. nineteen. He's okay, nineteen so, years old. So, uh, so he's a big he's boy. He's hunted already. a lot of rifle and muzzleloader, but he's always been in playing sports. And he was supposed to be college soccer and he did college soccer all of last year. Um, he just opted not to go back up for this fall. So he was, <laughs> his bow, he ended up blowing up and having problems with his bow. So I ended up handing him one of my bows, which, you know, said it like, I think my bows, that one's maxed out at 72 pounds, but his draw length is quite a bit shorter than my draw length. So we had to shorten the draw length up a bit. But yeah, so 70, 72 pounds. Um, okay, so he's shooting, shooting, he's shooting a man's yeah, bow. Got yeah, it. he's shooting a man's bow, probably a 420 grain arrow. He shot one of my arrows, uh, expandable broadhead. 
pounded the bull perfect, buried in the offside shoulder, and heck of a blood trail. The bull goes, you know, 50, 60 yards down the hill and piles up dead. So, yeah, not a problem. And I wasn't even worried about that. My wife has shot several elk, mm-hmm. and my wife typically shoots around 50 pounds. But a lot of times I'll have, and her draw length is super short too. She's shooting about a 26, 26 and a half inch draw length. And we'll usually shoot. So her arrow's really lightweight because her draw length's so short. Mm -hmm. And, but I'll usually have her shoot a fixed blade broadhead and she's shot plumb through, uh, I think three of the elk that she's killed. So, you know, people all talk about, you have to shoot 70 pounds, you have to shoot a 500 grain arrow, all this kind of stuff. And like, right. You can do that and that'll work. Um, Yeah. I I had that debate with people all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I have a very specific philosophy of my, especially when it comes to arrow builds. Um, I've always been like a middle of the road guy. Like I, I like everything in the middle. I like a little bit, you know, FOC and like a little bit of weight. But I yep. like a lot of, you know, I like speed too, you know? So I like to have mm-hmm. everything kind of well balanced. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I kind of, I start with wanting my arrow to be about 280 feet per second. And then I build the mm-hmm. arrow to specs that way, to get, you know. To get to that velocity. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Isn't it cool archery though? It's like there's so much diversity in what people shoot and oh, yeah. you know the, the opinions and thoughts on that and all of those will work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Under the right setup and the right circumstances. It, really, so. it all it all comes out to this, and I'm sure you heard this before. It's always about shot placement, right? You oh, know, it is so much. You can you can kill an elk, you know, mm-hmm. with a sharp stick if you mm-hmm. did it right. But the thing is, you try to build your setup for the bad shot you try to sell, you try to build your setup for the what ifs not for the perfect scenario you know mm-hmm. and that's what i always tell people because everybody's like oh yeah well you know i use this and i use that and blah 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 and i'm like well you know i do this because you know i've i've made these mistakes yeah. and i'm trying yeah. to you know because there's so many things in hunting that you can't control Mm-hmm. So you might as well control all the things that you can control, you know, right? That's right. That's right. You take as many of the variables out. You try yeah. not to stack stack them against you. So yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't know. Like I I tell the story. I've probably told it on this podcast a hundred times. But uh, my bull here in Arizona, 2016, was the last time I had a tag. I shot that bull at 83 yards. And mm-hmm. I shot him with a 425 grain total weight arrow, mm-hmm. you know, 14, yep. 13, 14% FOC with a Schwacker expandable two blade. Mm-hmm. And I had a pass through. Yep. So, oh, yeah. you know, it'll do it. Yeah. It's, it's just where you hit him, how you hit him, how, you know, was he moving? Was he, you know, did he jump? Did he flinch? Did he even know the arrow was coming out? You know, like the, all those things come to, to play. A little yep. flinch, a little whatever tightens up those, you know, those ribs together and you get less penetration because now there's not that space or, you know, kind of could be mm-hmm. anything, any variable, you know, but yeah. So I'm a believer in one is it's, it needs to be accurate. And oh, that's so, the most important thing. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's all about tuning and your yep. arrow tune, your bow tune, all those things. So, yeah, if you've got accuracy and then forgiveness, 
Mm-hmm. But then beyond all of that, too, I think the most important thing is sharpness of your broadhead. Yep. So it needs to be accurate and it needs to be super sharp. I it's, agree. Like the deer and elk and all the animals you shoot with a bow die from hemorrhaging. So the more blood, it's the same analogy that we say you cut your finger with a razor blade and how much do you bleed? Cut it with a butter knife and then see how do you bleed? Yeah. The razor blade, it just, it'll bleed profusely. It's the same thing with deer, elk, or any other animal. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I switched over yeah. to, back over to, I should say, to a fixed blade the last two years. Mm-hmm. And definitely no, no, I don't know, no shame on or whatever, because I killed, and this might sound like an exaggeration, but probably close to 70 60, mm-hmm. 60 animals probably with Schwacker, two mm-hmm. blade, two inch, expandable broadhead. Yeah. Excellent broadheads, always done well for me. I don't think they make them quite as good as they did um, previously. I don't know what, what's changed, but they're not quite as good or quite as sharp, but um, mm-hmm. still a good broadhead. I'm actually uh, thinking about using them for deer in here in Arizona this uh, mm-hmm. this December, just because I'm going to be probably chasing coos there and I want to go with a lighter setup and get a little bit more speed. Yeah. But I've been shooting, uh, the iron wills oh, and, yeah. and everything I've connected on is, hasn't gone very far. And mm-hmm. they, I, you know, they fly great. They're very, very, very well made, super freaking sharp. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm playing with one right now in my hand and it's a dull one and I almost cut <laughs> yeah, my finger. Cut like dumbass. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah but no. you just, you just reiterated yeah. that, right? It's about accuracy, forgiveness, and then sharpness. Right. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you hit them well with the sharp broadhead, they don't go very far at all. Right. So. Yeah. I, I shot my, uh, my elk in Idaho this past September and I used the single bevel mm-hmm. iron will. And it was a head-on shot. And then I, you know, I shot him. It was head-on quartering, kind of. And uh, yeah, man, it went in, popped out the other behind the shoulder on the other side. And you know, he he took a little while to expire, uh, mm-hmm. but he only went and he bled profusely. Like it was a like I never had to bend over to look even look for blood. I just stood up straight and walked. <laughs> um, yeah, those are fun when you get to do that, aren't they? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and I, and honestly, every frontal shot I've ever taken on any animal has been that way. Yeah. I remember actually the very first time that I, I shot a whitetail out of a tree stand, which was even better. And the deer was coming down the trail and I was turning in the stand and it stand creaked and he flipped mm-hmm. his head up, but I was already at full draw. And when mm-hmm. he flipped his head up, I put a right, right, you know, it is just below his throat patch and it went through the throat and it came out like somewhere in his brisket, you know, between his legs, mm-hmm. you know, and buried in the ground. He ran off and it literally like was like the red brick road. He painted, <laughs> he painted a trail yeah. right to himself. Yeah. And I just like, yeah. I never, and I was like, Oh, I'm going to do that more often. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the way to yeah. do it. Yeah. But you probably cut all the goods. Right? Yeah. No, he jugglers, um, 50 part, yards, maybe part of the lungs. So yeah. And then mm-hmm. I, you know, I shot a couple of antelope that way and, whatever i just uh, if i got a good shot and i feel like i can make it i'm definitely taking that shot so yeah yeah a lot of that is about confidence in your equipment confidence in being able to shoot 
Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a double-edged sword too. Sometimes I get overly confident and I take stupid shots because I think I'm. <laughs> I get that John Stallone's the greatest archer in the whole wide world. Complex sometimes, <laughs> too yeah. confident, and then yeah. I then I start yeah. flinging shit that I shouldn't be doing. Yeah, it's it's something I've I've and I know it too, and I I've, I've tried to talk myself out of doing stuff like that, and, and I catch myself doing it more times than I than I care to admit. So, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, it uh, is what it's, it is. It's painful if you ever hit something and lose it. And if you bow hunt long enough, you're probably going to experience that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and yeah, we should all learn from those uh, pain points and pain experiences so we don't replicate some of those things again. Oh, yeah, without sure. a doubt. I mean, mm-hmm. I had a really, really excellent record of not wounding shit. I either missed mm-hmm. it or I killed it. You know, that yeah. was it. And I was like, yeah. oh, I was good with that, you know, for mm-hmm. a very, very long time. And then, then I had a couple of, you know, snafus, you know, probably 2014, 2015. Although 2015 was an excellent year for me. I think I, I had like the best, I had a bunch of tags that year and, mm-hmm. I, and I went like 14 for 15 or something like that was not wow, like unprecedented cool. yeah. absolutely crazy but that's an exaggeration i think it was 11 but whatever yeah. it was it was high and more than i had ever done and then um then i had a year i think was it 2018 or might have been 2019 whatever year i had it was recently i had um i had a tag in nevada mm-hmm. i freaking wounded three deer in nevada oh no yeah that hurts i meant Three deer in one hunt. Mm-hmm. I actually wounded two deer, got disgusted with myself, went home, took four days off, five days, something like that. And then I came back to hunt for another week. And on day mm-hmm. two of that week, I wounded another deer. And I said, you know what? I'm punching my tag. I'm not even going to hunt the rest of this hunt. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that's how fucking disgusted I was with myself. Yeah. And then it, what ha- what, it kept on going. It kept on going. And I got in mm-hmm. my own head. And, uh, man, this was right before COVID. I went to Argentina Mm -hmm. and in Argentina, now luckily the story ended up fine because I ended up killing them later on, but I wounded two, Uh, two red stags and end up shooting them later on in the hunt. End up, I mean- Fortunately, I got stuck there for 21 days, so I had time mm-hmm. to refine these animals and kill them. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, if I would have been on, uh, if it would have been my normal hunt that I was supposed to be there for a week, I didn't find them until after I would have ha- normally have left. Had to leave. Yeah. yeah. So that's like a hitter slump. So yeah. What do you What do you think contributed to that, or why do you think that happened? Well, you know, um, part of it is I think as I'm getting older. My and this is going back to that same thing that John Stallone thinks he's the greatest archer in the whole wide world. Thing, it's mm-hmm. like you think you ha- you have this expectation of yourself based on years prior, right? Your your previous years, mm-hmm. and you're like, I've done this a million times. I, I'm going to do it again. But now I don't see as good as I did, so mm-hmm. I don't have that same visual acuity when I'm putting a pin on something and yeah. picking a spot. Mm-hmm. that's one. I don't have the same, and it, it takes me a, a little bit longer to focus where, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if you know this or if you've ever done this before, but I was like 
speed shooting champion, like speed 3D champion. Like I <laughs> yeah. pop up, pop up 3D. Dude, that was my that was my jam. Yeah, that was your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and it, and it came about because I did a lot of predator calling, a lot of coyote calling. Oh, yeah. From, and it's like a yeah. drive-by shooting. They come running in, you know. Mm-hmm. So that ability to do that, and that's just the way I shoot. I'm, I'm not that guy mm-hmm. that's like, I draw back my bow and I'm like, okay, let's talk myself through the shot. You know, <laughs> that, that's not me. Like, I yeah. see people, you know, I always tell people that when they talk about target panic, I'm like, hunting is target panic. Like, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities if you're not one of those guys that can say, okay, there's an animal, draw back, you know, mm-hmm. acquire target, mm-hmm. shoot. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm not to say that you can't kill because a lot of guys, you know, do that, talk themselves through and have that whole mantra. And that's a great way to be, but I never trained myself to be like that. Yep. And yeah, you know, it's just not your style. Well, you know, and I'm trying to, you know, I can't beat 35 years of bow hunting out of my, out of my mm-hmm. system. Like that's just the way I've mm-hmm. been my whole life, yep. you know, and I, th- that originally I think came from hunting whitetail back East. It's like that too is like a drive-by shooting. Cause I'd only hunt the rut. I never hunted in mm-hmm. early season and mm-hmm. you know, they're chasing a doe and they're coming by and you're like, man, they got to stop. You're going to put draw back and shoot. Like, and that was it. Had, you know, had to be quick. Yeah. It had to be quick. Exactly. And I just kind of just, you know, developed that and that was my thing. And I, I just had to relearn how to shoot. Like mm-hmm. I still do that, but now I, I give myself that extra second where before I don't think I was mm-hmm. like, I was just, you know, relying on my instinct to shoot like mm-hmm. that because mm-hmm. I, I i mean it's not instinctual shooting but it's almost like you would you what you would consider instinctual yeah there's you know? a muscle there's a muscle memory right. and a repetitive nature to it that you develop for sure yeah i think that was the biggest thing um you know physically wise like yeah i don't i, st- I mean there's no change from last year to this year i still run up the mountain the same same you know if not better anyway like that part but it was just it was a lot of it had to do with my shooting and then um i don't know you know a lot of it's just bad luck you just get into your head yeah yeah. you know how it is i i don't know i i know i've told this story on the podcast before too but like one of the things that i had um one of my cousins i was teaching him you know how to get into archery and man he'd come out he'd shoot like awesome groups and then he put the bow down and he picked the bow back up and he'd go and shoot again and the freaking arrows were all over the place. Mm. And then I would go like, hey, give me that bow real quick. And I'd turn around and make it like I'm screwing around with the with the rest or with the <laughs> you know, with the yeah the the sight or whatever. And then I hand yeah. the bow back. I'm like, all right, man, just follow through and and keep that pin on the, you know, on the target mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. shoot it again and boom, freaking fletching, touching each other, you know? And yeah. it's like, oh man, yeah, you got it fixed. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just laughing mm-hmm. at myself because I know what it is, you know? Yeah. Unfortunately, you can't mental. do that to yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you can. So, you know, you talk about tournament 3D, but um, I think there's a lot to be said about shooting competition. Mm-hmm whether you're shooting paper competition or 3p competition, mm-hmm. but you've got to put pressure on the line. And so I think when we shoot competitions like that and you actually put the pressure and it elevates the adrenaline and it elevates the moment of truth that you've got to make the shot, 
That's what a hunting situation, that's the closest oh, yeah. thing to replicating the hunting. And then, you know, in those situations, when you're shooting competition, you have to pick a spot. You have to shoot a specific spot. And if we can train ourselves to do that in a competition, you just carry that from a competition event right over to a hunting event mm -hmm. and replicate the same thing. Right. And then you have the confidence. It's like, well, if I've done this in competition, I can do it in a hunting situation. Exactly. And hey, so, confidence is huge. Yeah. It's the same nervous calm. You got to calm your nerves. It's the same pick a spot and make the right shot, you know, and then all of the other things that go, we all have to should, we all should develop a sequence for a shot. And if you walk through that same sequence in the hunting situation, then it all comes together and you can make a perfect shot. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, you just, yeah, you okay. actually just reminded me because you asked me what, what do I, what did I attribute it to? The other thing I attribute it to mm -hmm. is that I in years past, I've always trained a very specific way all through my, yep. all through mm -hmm. my, uh, you know, off season. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, the last fall, and I, honestly, I know what it is. And I hate to blame my son, but my son was born five years ago. Mm -hmm. And he's the, the youngest of the three. Mm -hmm. And now I don't do as much as I used to. I'm starting mm -hmm. to, I'm starting now that he's getting a little older and I got a little bit more time on my hands. Yep. I've started to do it again and I noticed it. I started doing it again before this season and this year, this year I'm having a great year, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but the two years prior, I didn't have great years. I didn't have terrible years, but I didn't have great years like when, what I'm used to, you know, mm -hmm. and a lot mm -hmm. of it came down to the training. Like, the like you said, putting yourself yeah. in pressured situations, like, you know, I would run and shoot. I would, you know, get my heart rate up. I put myself in very awkward positions. I don't, once I get my bow tuned, I don't shoot at a dot. It's only at 3D targets. It's only mm -hmm. at animal type stuff, you know, so that yep. it becomes like second nature. And it's so easy. It's such a perishable thing. And mm -hmm. from a guy who's on, you know, I shoot for Matthew, so I get a new bow every year, right? Mm-hmm. That's something I got to relearn. I got to redevelop a relationship with that new bow every yeah. year. Yep. You know, yep. which is a lot, you know, for a long time. And uh, I got in trouble for this years ago, but and I, stopped, I stopped doing it. But for a long time, I would get a bow from Matthews and then I would shoot that bow for like four years. And all my new mm -hmm. bows, I would only shoot them in 3Ds and, mm -hmm. you know, public stuff like that. But when it came down to hunting, I always went back to my hunting bow. <laughs> the one you had confidence Right. In exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Old faithful. Yep. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I've done is I've learned to outfit my bows exactly the same year after year. Mm -hmm. And that definitely helps a lot. Yep, the same anchor feel, the same draw length, yep. same Everything. knot point, same yeah, peep sight, same, peep sight, same mm -hmm. you know size, same mm -hmm. same sight. That's a big thing. Looking at the yep. same type of pins, like, yep. I didn't think that was as big a deal because you don't <laughs> you don't notice it. You don't notice yeah. it when you're shooting at a target, right? Yeah. And then you go in a hunting situation, and you and you have to go on you know autopilot, and it's mm -hmm. not the same. Yeah. Yeah, that's the story of people changing their top pin from a 20-yard pin to a 30-yard pin. Oh, forget pin about it. I made that like mistake. That. <laughs> I made that mistake yeah. a long time yeah. ago. 
and then you realize in a hunting situation, everything goes subconscious and you screw it all up because you go, went back to something else. Yep. Well, yeah. and you know, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> I got a bunch of stories about that actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've done it to myself many, many, many times. And now yeah. I just came to like, you know, in, in the Western game, I don't use my 20 yard pin very often, but I got a 20 yard mm-hmm. pin. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, when I know that I have a season that I'm doing a lot of tree stand hunting or something like that, and I, which I, it's been a long time since I've had that, probably, you know, 2012, since I've done mm-hmm. a lot of like Midwest hunts, I would set my pin at 15 yards to top and go 15, 30 because, oh, yeah. it, because I missed high so many freaking times because when I first started going to like Illinois and stuff, Mm-hmm. I was doing a lot. Of, that was my only, you know, tree stand hunt. And I was hunting, you know, antelope, mule deer, coos deer, whatever out here. Mm-hmm. And so I always ran a 30 yard pin as my first pin. Yep. And I was just like, okay, you know, I'll just think about it and I'll aim low. And, I, and you know, in practice, I was beautiful at it. I would, mm-hmm. No problem. Then again, you get this freaking big, I missed the biggest freaking whitetail in my life. It was like 180 inch deer in mm. Illinois. And I just freaking put it right over his back because mm. I couldn't, you know, I went into autopilot and yep. uh, put the 30 yard pin where, you know, it should have been a 20 yard pin and mm-hmm. between him mm-hmm. ducking and the, and the extra, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's there's a lot of value in having similar setups year after year like that just like you said i think it's i think it's key man mm-hmm. i honestly i'm getting kind of sad because my my uh some of my sites over here that i have and i got like four identical ones yeah but they're all kind of starting to get pretty <laughs> beat the shit out of they need a refresh or yeah reset. and they don't make yeah. it anymore which sucks i'm actually <laughs> I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. I've been working on my own site here for about three, four years. Oh, there you go. There you hopefully go. I'll, I'll be able to, to come up, come up with something. I'm taking the best of best of the few worlds out of a few different sites that I like and kind of mm-hmm. tweaking them and making them the, what I think they need to be. And uh, mm-hmm. so we'll see what happens. Oh, cool. Well, good luck. You'll yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll see some stuff on that soon. So. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I don't know. I might just make it. For, <laughs> I just might make them for myself and say, "Screw it." You know, I don't. I don't need a. I don't need another uh, thing on my plate. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? I'm already. Yeah. I'm already freaking juggling like crazy. But um, yeah. Anyway, that's cool. You got any hunting left you're going to do this year, or? I got a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. mentioned the January ibex tag. Oh, that's right. You so said I, yeah. I've got that one myself. And then um, I've got nephews that have January deer tags in New Mexico. So we'll see how much time I spend with them on that. And one of them's got an orcs tag as well. So, okay. We've got a few things left. Um, nice. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just start, I mean, I feel like I start getting going right about now. <laughs> That's not true, yeah. but I, I have quite a bit of hunting left. I, you know, I'll, I'll hunt here coming up actually what it's already this uh december 1st today yeah, yeah. so our season opens back up this, on the 10th since i haven't filled my early tag i didn't fill my tag in the mm-hmm. early season i'll have till the 31st to see if i can squeak out a couple um mm-hmm. i have an over-the-counter javelina tag as well so i might try to fill that we'll see i don't know oh, cool 
Yep. And then I'll I'll hunt deer here in January, and, uh, mm-hmm. and then I have Havelina hunters, so I'll be hunting, you know, with them. I'll be taking, you know, guiding clients for Havelina. Yeah. Uh, we have some archery clients here and there too uh, for the January season, but I think I myself personally, I think I'm only taking one guy, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then, um, man, I I think I'm gonna. I'm going to go out to California and try to shoot a couple of turkey. So oh, yeah, in the spring. Yeah. I mean, I'll from basically from now till March, I'll be pretty busy. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. People don't realize how fun Havelina can be to chase with a bow. Huh? Oh, I think it's great, man. It's one of, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's one of my favorite guys, you know, it's one of my mm-hmm. favorite. It's definitely one of my favorite to guide because mm-hmm. people, you know, we're, we've, we got close to a hundred percent success rate. It's like 99%. I've really only had one guy go home without one and he shot at it. So I've had a hundred percent shot opportunity, <laughs> shot opportunity. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's my favorite I, one because the success rates high, but it's it really people who've never done spot and stalk type hunting and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, you know, it's kind of a great like gateway drug, so to speak, you know? Yep. Yep. So, but, well, and then you don't have all the pressure of I want a bigger deer, bigger elk. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, yes, it's a javelina. It, exactly. Get it. <laughs> yeah, I know we try to look for boars yeah. or whatever, but you know it's yeah. it's kind of hard. They're kind of hard to judge on the hoof, uh, especially when mm-hmm. right now when the grass is so damn tall. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's a fun hunt for sure. Heck yeah! So, well, cool man. I want to thank you for coming on and sharing the story with us and uh, shooting the shit with me. Hey, you bet. Anytime, man. That's always good. Yeah, for sure. Well, good luck on that Ibex hunt. Um, man, <laughs> yeah. kind of envious. I wish, wish I could come down and help you, actually. Uh, I you uh, say envious, but there's just not many animals left on the mountain. I don't know. It's after being down there in December or in November, I'm just like, ugh. Yeah, um, I don't know. I see. I feel like on that, and sad. I haven't been there during the rifle hunt, but I've had other guys tell me that for some reason, you see a lot less in November. Mm, and I don't know be. if it's just because of the bang, bang, pow, pow, and they just decide to cr- crawl in the holes. Like yeah. But I think in January, you'll start, you'll, they start, because one, it's colder. Mm-hmm. They're out feeding more. I think you'll still, you'll, you'll get on them. I hope you're right. So we'll find out. Yeah. I'm sure you'll do well, man. Sure. I got confidence in you. <laughs> I don't know. But, You've been on that mountain, you know. You've shot one, but that's a. Uh, I've actually, a I've actually shot, shot three. Bow. Have you really? <laughs> yeah. That's a rarity. That is not normal. So. Well, I've shot three. I only recovered one, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If no, I've been on the mountain. You know exactly what that means. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I've, I've, um, you know, I've had that tag twice myself, and. Um, mm-hmm. I've been there three or four times, you know, helping other guys out. So mm-hmm. I definitely have a, you know, affinity for that place. But it's, uh, yeah. yeah, I got some tips for you. You want to call me before you head out there? I'll tell you a, a couple yeah. of things that I figured out about the about them that yeah make a lot of sense as a bow hunter and might well, actually change that. things I'll up. Give you, I'll give you a call for sure. All right, buddy. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. Hey, you bet. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out daysinthewild.com and be sure to give us a review on iTunes. Thank you. And we'll check you out on the next episode.